this is Ann Robertson, the pastor of the United Methodist Church of Westford in Westford, Massachusetts. And this is the sermon that was preached this morning on Father's Day, June 18th, 2006. Uh, you'll hear the entire story. It's based on First Kings in the 18th chapter with the story of the contest on Mount Carmel and Elijah and the prophets of Baal. So it's a great story. Enjoy. Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the gospel, which comes from the gospel of Luke in the ninth chapter, verses 18 through 20. Once, when Jesus was praying alone with only the disciples near him, he asked them, Who do the crowd say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, that one of the ancient prophets has arisen. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered, the Messiah of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know if you're up to date in your daily walk readings, but the the readings for this week had so many great stories, it was hard to know what to pick. For a sermon. We could have done Paul getting knocked off his horse and blinded by the light of God on the road to Damascus. Or we could have talked about what Peter learned from a sheet full of unclean animals. There was the visit of the Queen of Sheba to King Solomon, Philip's miraculous appearance to the Ethiopian eunuch, and I dabbled enough in Psalm 130 that it ended up as the call to worship. But in the end, I can never just put aside the stories of Elijah. The event in yesterday's reading happened on top of Mount Carmel, a 1,500-foot limestone mountain, where Elijah stages a contest with the prophets of Baal. And you heard about that contest as Annette read it for us. I picked this story for Father's Day because it seemed like something that it sort of takes a lot of testosterone to appreciate. (laughs) I think it must have been what guys did before they had the World Wrestling Federation or something, or monster trucks. You know, just this wild show, bravado. The central contest is the age-old, my God can beat the pants off of your God kind of contest. And it's a blast. It's just fun. But there are some things, seriously, that you ought to know about the story. First, there are the main characters. Elijah is a prophet. Certainly the most colorful of the biblical prophets. He lived in the 9th century B.C. and he brought the word of God to Israel. There are lots of miracles attributed to him in the Bible, even raising the dead. And instead of dying like all the other prophets, the story goes that a fiery chariot came down from heaven to get him and he simply rode off into heaven in the chariot. And because of that, the expectation grew that he would come back to usher in the final age of the world. You hear that in the gospel reading that I just read, where Peter tells Jesus that some people think he is Elijah. Come back. That's why the Jews have always prepared a cup and left a chair for Elijah at Passover. This year just might be the year of his coming. Elijah is a big deal in the Bible. During much of Elijah's life, he fought with King Ahab and Queen Jezebel because they ruled Israel, but they worshipped other gods. 
The other gods they worshipped were the heads of the local pantheon, Baal and his consort Asherah. Elijah's name means God is God, and that was exactly his message. He yelled and he fumed and he did all he could to bring Ahab and Jezebel to ruin because they were leading the people away from the one true God. And the battle went on for years. The crowning moment comes here on Mount Carmel, where Elijah finally calls the bluff of the prophets of Baal. You've heard the story. It seems ready for Cecil B. DeMille. Hundreds of prophets of Baal dancing wildly around their altar, hour after hour, all day, crying out to Baal, mutilating themselves to show their sincerity. And while they do that, Elijah just sits back, chews on a tuft of grass, and laughs at him. The account in scripture is actually cleaned up a bit in the English translations. I had to translate this passage for a Hebrew exam, and you'll have to trust me that Elijah's taunts are a good bit ruder than they come out in English. Then Elijah's turn comes, and he spices it up for the cameras. Just bringing down fire is not enough. He's got to make the wood and the sacrifice unburnable by pouring so much water on it that the excess water fills a trench around the bottom of the altar. Where was reality TV when we needed it? It's sort of like the stunts of Houdini and others who enjoyed putting themselves in impossible situations and then getting out before the oohs and the ahs of the crowd. Once the stage is set and the crowd has been gearing up all day long, I mean, this is going on all day, Elijah calls on God and gets instant results. Kablam! Fire falls from heaven. It burns up the sacrifice and the wood and the rocks and the dirt and even the water in the trench. Seems to me that God had as much fun with this as Elijah did. Now, I can't say that I think God approved of how Elijah handles his victory. Annette didn't read that part, but instead of shaking hands all round, Elijah rounds up the 400 prophets of Baal and slaughters them. God doesn't tell him to do that. And it's an interesting commentary on what we appreciate as human beings, that if you go to Mount Carmel today, you can see a statue of Elijah, sword drawn, slaughtering the prophets of Baal. I wish they'd chosen to focus on God's power rather than on Elijah's revenge, but such is human nature. The story does give us a very wide picture of human nature. And I believe it's in scripture because we're meant to learn from it. We see in the story our delight in spectacle. We want to be the hero of a big show, and we rarely settle for just a simple victory. You know, Elijah could have just said, please, God, take the sacrifice and had a little fire come do it, and that would have been the same, but he builds it way up. And so do we embellish and we add just to be sure that everybody knows that we are the winners and others are the losers. And we, too, often don't treat the losers with grace. We see in this story that we think violence will solve things. The prophets of Baal mutilated themselves, thinking that their God would be pleased with that and grant them results. Elijah thinks that killing off the prophets of Baal will eliminate idolatry from the land, but it doesn't. 
Killing the other guy never has and never will solve the real problem. Killing ourselves never has and never will solve the problem. I think, however, that the biggest challenge that this story offers us is the challenge of which altar we're going to claim for ourselves. Just who is it we call on to save us? We like to think that because we come to church and call ourselves Christians, that we'll automatically find ourselves at God's altar with Elijah. We would never worship a false god. How silly. And yet, in ways big and small, we do it all the time. How often we dance around the altar of self, calling upon our own inner strength and reserves to come to our aid. We deny ourselves and we discipline ourselves, demanding that we be able to fix the problem without any outside help. We hop around the altar of self, pulling on our own bootstraps and expecting miracles. In New England, the God of self-sufficiency is right up there at the head of the pantheon. We don't need any help. We can do it ourselves. And we'd sometimes rather lie bleeding on the ground than admit that we might need something that we can't provide. Live free or die, as the New Hampshire motto goes, and we mean it. No outside interference, no dependence on anyone or anything. Unfortunately, that means that God is closed out of our lives as well. When we cannot admit our dependency on God, we're dancing around the altar of Baal. Some of us call to the God of possessions. As soon as I can afford a better house or car, things will get better. If I got a raise, I wouldn't be in this mess. If I could buy that dishwasher, we wouldn't argue so much. We bleed ourselves with constant work, trusting that if we just work a little bit more and make just a little bit more money, we can buy our way out of our soul's problems. When we trust in possessions and money to make our lives better, we're only calling to bail. Still others call on the God of relationship of various kinds. What I really need is a better marriage. I wouldn't be so depressed if my friends were more responsive to my needs. The problem is that I'm alone. I just need someone that I can really depend on. If my children just treated me better, if my parents weren't so difficult, if I could find Mr. Right, if the people at work weren't so darn difficult, life would be good. We run around the altar in a frenzy, demanding that others take responsibility for our lives. We often ask superhuman things of others. Never let me down. Always consider me before you consider yourself. Never have a bad day. We ask them to be gods, but we're only calling on Baal. And in the midst of all of it stands colorful, bravado-filled Elijah. He's watching us from a distance, making fun of our silly expectations. Maybe if we were paying attention, we could rewrite the story of Mount Carmel. Maybe God has given us this story so that we can learn, so that we don't need to beat ourselves up all our lives for nothing. What if we stopped all the madness, quit calling out to the bales of our lives, and joined Elijah at the altar of Yahweh? The witness of scripture is that no matter how impossible it seems, no matter how wet the wood, God's fire can still blaze in our lives 
the very moment that we call. The only catch is we have to be willing to leave the other altars behind. (coughs) Yahweh is God. There is no other. Yahweh is the one who answers when the faithful call. A couple of years ago, I was up in Nashua teaching a lay-speaking class for the New Hampshire district. And during the morning, I got pulled out of class because a woman had walked in off the street. That's an inner-city church there. And she needed to talk to a pastor. The current pastor of that church wasn't there. I was the only one in the building. Uh, So I left my class and spent about 45 minutes with this young woman whose life had really hit bottom. Her sister had told her she needed to go to a church. And she tried three others before she found one that had an open door. There was absolutely nothing in her situation that I could fix. Her life was an absolute mess, largely because of choices she had made. It was her bed and she was lying in it and she'd made it. All of her 31 years, she'd been dancing around the altar of Baal. Her immediate cause of grief was a broken relationship which was the result of her own unfaithfulness. I listened to her, and we prayed together, even as my class prayed for us from another room. At least for a moment, she had wandered over to the altar of Yahweh, and so we called on God together. She then went home, and I returned and finished the class. About two weeks later, I got a phone call back in my home church in Dover, and it was her. She told me that she'd been home about 20 minutes that afternoon when things began to change. The boyfriend who wouldn't speak to her called, and they were now back together. She'd managed to stay away from the alcohol that had so often been her downfall. I've always believed in God, she told me, but this was the first time in my life that God actually did anything. She thought maybe she was crazy because she felt so good and she hadn't been able to stop crying. Tears of joy this time. God was telling her things and giving her direction and she wanted more. I want to do things for people now, she said. I want to find a place where I can do some service. It's just what I want to do. I want to give back. What's happening to me? Well, what happened was the fire fell and Yahweh came. She'd finally hit bottom and realized she'd been looking to false gods. When she came to the right one and left the others behind, she got action. Even though life had soaked her wood well past the possibility of there being a fire, the fire fell anyway. The choice before that young woman is the choice that all of us have to make. The contest was proven long, long ago by a drama-loving prophet up on top of a limestone mountain. Will you join him and give up the silly dance around the altar of Baal? The fire is waiting. Amen. Thanks for subscribing to Spirit Walker Sermons. If you're ever in the area, stop in for worship at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 10 Church Street in Westford, Massachusetts. Love to have you stop by my website at www.annrobertson.com where you can also subscribe to a weekly devotion which you can receive either as an email or a podcast. I'd love to hear from you via email at ann at annrobertson.com. Thanks again for subscribing and I hope your week is filled with God's blessings. Music.